What follows is an interview with the amazing Carreros. You can find them over at twitch.tv slash Carreros. It's sort of the main pillar of content, uh, also on socials under the same name. I really enjoyed this interview. We got into some really interesting subjects, as always. I have yet to have an interview that was disappointing. I, I guess I wouldn't say that if I actually had one, but trusting me to be honest, uh, all of the interviews so far have been amazing. And uh, I almost hate using the word interview because they're really more like a, a nice, friendly and cool discussion. But we have some more great podcasts coming down the pipeline. I think this is our 10th episode, unless my uh, counting is off. So that's kind of exciting. Happy decaversary. I don't think that's the correct word. But I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been listening so far. Thank you to everyone who subscribed. I just wanted to make a humble ask. If you've been enjoying the podcast and the podcast listening platform of your choice has a rating or review option, I know Apple Podcasts has one, as well as some independent players. It would mean the world to me if you would just take your time, uh, take a moment of your time to write a nice review. And maybe you'd even consider sharing it with some people whom you consider dear. That is all for now. Please enjoy the podcast. Hello, it's me, Major Grunge, host of the annual Major Grunge audiovisual experience, the only place with sound and video at the same time. I'm here with my lovely guest today Carreros uh hello <laughs> I wait I do have a question is it annual is that like an in joke that I don't know about I'm just a, I'm just a bit of a jokester year? a prankster I, I say a lot of stuff that I don't mean it's sort of um kind of my heist on reality I like to just keep people on their toes Oh, okay. I like the idea that they never know what to expect. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm always throwing a, a variety of different pitches. And so that's, that's kind of part of a little bit of a philosophy thing I have in regards to actually it's, it's sort of under Zen Buddhism, if you can believe it. Mad Zen is what it's called. Oh, I was going to go straight for like the chaotic neutralism, but no, <laughs> yeah. I, I like the spiritual component already. It's just this idea that reality is a lot more malleable than most people think it is. And that in order to help other people see that, you regularly challenge people's expectations. Mm, is this based on kind of like a everyone's perspective is their own reality philosophy or something else? Sort of. It's kind of uh, charitably saying that like everyone's perspective influences rea their reality heavily however there is there's like a, a greater reality than just that but their perspective mm -hmm. is the filter through which they intake that reality and it's ultimately for most people can be just more significant than what is actually real this is deep i didn't know i was getting on such a deep podcast <laughs> shit wait did i interrupt your opening no I'll i mean like i said we, honestly we play it fast and loose this is a, this is a punk rock podcast so the rules of the podcasting world don't apply here. Okay, but I have a secret to tell you. Please. I am in my pajamas, and I'm feeling very cozy. Oh, that's wonderful. Actually, you know, I, was, I had a scented candle next to me. I was, I was strongly considering lighting, and I think I might do it now. <laughs> For the ambiance? Yeah, I'm feeling very encouraged by that statement. Do you have a go-to scent? No, I just, uh, whatever the cheap one is. Mm, I'm, a, I'm a simple guy. Yeah, I'm a simple guy. Economical. I, I drink malt liquor. You know, I'm I'm 
I do also enjoy a slightly nicer alcohol every now and then, but I'm I'm much mostly grew up on on cheaper things, and uh, especially once I moved out on my own, it's all about the budget friendly options. And so I've learned to love it. I like to tell people that I think that I've gotten good at poverty. Ah, skill tree. My skill exactly. My poverty skill tree is well developed. Exactly. Oh wow, that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> I definitely. I, I feel you a lot growing up, the way that my brother and I grew up in kind of different wealth brackets with my family, I think really uh, determined a little bit more than I think either of us were expecting in our forays into adulthood. Um, I still kind of cringe a little when the Uber is more than $7. Oh, oh my goodness. I'm always... <laughs> Before I call an Uber, I'm I'm scouring the internet to find like free ride coupon, discount coupon because I just can't bring myself to ever pay full price for a ride share. Oh my god, you're a coupon person. Oh, I'm a oh. serious coupon person. I even have a little folder of Kroger coupons. I love that so much. <laughs> I'm an aggressive <laughs> I would even describe myself as an aggressive couponer. Yeah. I'm I'm the type of character to even whenever the cashier forgets to calculate the discount, I'll be like, um, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't Did feel you bad see about my it. triple coupon. It is triple coupon day. Yes, this one's a manufacturer's coupon and this one is the store's coupon. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, my only real rideshare hack is to like rideshare to a bus stop. That's like really, really close to my house. Oh. And so that's what I do now is like rideshare to a light rail or, or something else kind of close by. Cause I have a free, um, I have a free public transportation pass in the city because my dad works for that company. Oh, and wow. so I have to like, uh, yeah, I have to abuse it. That's a very good trick. Actually. I, I, my biggest uh, rideshare hack is I just like hiking. So I end up walking home more <laughs> often than not, even if it's like it's a exercise. few miles. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my good buddy, uh, we would always walk everywhere, like everywhere we went in any given city. And so we'd find a bar that was like two or three miles away and we'd walk there and back and I'd always remember the walks back were sort of half stumbled, but it was almost a fun little adventure, you know, trying to keep each other upright on this long, arduous journey back to the homestead. Oh, no, that sounds fantastic. The first time I ever got drunk, which was more recently than I think people expect, given how much I've been drinking on my stream lately, uh, <laughs> was uh, I ended up walking my dog afterwards. And my friends were like, no, you can't go by yourself. I'm like, well, I do this every day. Yeah. And it was like climbing over rocks and going over rivers and shit. And oh, they're yeah. just like there to buffer me so I don't like face plant into the cement. Well, it turns what is a normal sort of journey into a true adventure. And you might even get a, a timeless story from it. Uh, timeless stories. Usually these are the expensive stories where you like break your arm, but yeah, no, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I just, a lot of times find myself running into very surreal and zany things out in the world. Uh, um, mm. especially during times like this, one thing I, a really interesting perspective I once heard on LSD is that LSD doesn't necessarily well it does make things weirder but it doesn't necessarily make things as weird as people think but it does allow you to notice the things around you that have always been very strange and absurd and all ah. of a sudden you're more tuned into it and then once you've seen it before you become better at seeing it and so me as a person that's abundantly interested in psychedelics i have found after my various experiences in that field that i now i just notice a lot more truly bizarre events around me and I find it very fun. 
I have to imagine that's kind of shaped your outlook on life a bit now. Oh, fully. I mean, drastically changed me from a person that was more or less committed to being in the Marines to being a person that is now a pacifist, even though I'm deeply into, you know, punk and, and the mosh pits and, and the hardcore scene. I absolutely do not like to harm people unless absolutely necessary. Um, so it, it really did. It changed not only my mindset there, but it opened my eyes up to many different ways of viewing the world. Helped me uh, what, take myself out of my own ego, I would say. What introduced you to that, I don't know, component of life? I, uh, just, just some friends, really, more than anything else. And then after that, uh, I found that I was, was fascinated by this experience and sort of uh, maybe like a more philosophical or intellectual level. Like after my first experience, I became very intrigued in the whole process, and I checked out a ton of books from my library on various psychedelics. I began reading Aldous Huxley, Doors of Perception, things like that, because I was so blown away by the raw nature of these experiences that I, I felt like I wanted to understand what kind of maybe truths there are in this world or, or not, you know, I just the, mm-hmm. the nature of it was so mind blowing to me that I wanted to understand as much as I possibly could about something this, uh, out there maybe. That's really interesting. I've, um, I don't have much of a history, uh, in that department. I ha- I tend to prize my, current state of being and current like focus and mental functions pretty highly so the idea of Mm. altering with them intentionally has always been like slightly um appalling for myself Mm -hmm. um just because i really enjoy like who i am for the most part and how i tend to think it's like a large reason i never ended up drunk until like 24 because i actually did not (laughs) know that this is a new new fact alert yeah i i mean i'm Obviously, that's just something I tend to watch for myself, and it's no mm-hmm. bearing on the people around me and what they choose to do. But I've, uh, it's something I have more difficulties, I think, getting into because I don't like to feel like I'm in an altered space mm-hmm. of thinking or being because I just enjoy the space that I'm currently in, which in some ways I guess goes against the grain of I hate the idea of being complacent. But at the same time, I really apply, like, really prize my focus and acuity, I suppose. Um, and the idea of potentially compromising that in the short term is usually not a trade-off that I feel comfortable making. But it's interesting hearing about other people's experiences because I have a friend who goes out of her way to like consume anything and everything for the sake of like writing and having more of those experiences that she can build into her books. Yeah. Um, whereas I take the opposite approach where I'm like, no, I like, I want my writing to be consistently me and like purely me without any sort of additions. I will say, f- I think everyone experiences these things very differently because ultimately my takeaway from a large, uh, amount of experiences is that th- these, these substances more or less highlight a lot of what's already within your mind or things you maybe already know. And they, uh, they open you up to potentially new perspective or new ways of looking at things, but, but it's still you. And for me, while at first it was sort of a loss of control, the more I became familiar with the experience, the more it felt like a, an elevation and a way for me to tune into sort of a, what, what felt like to me um, uh, almost a cosmic flow state of a shared consciousness that I hadn't been able to perceive previously. 
which would is you, sort of why it was so exciting to me. Would you kind of look at um, that sort of thing as like a tool used um, intentionally or proactively then? Or? Absolutely. That's, that's my vision on it. I mean, I think it can also just be fun. But uh, for me, as a person that's abundantly interested in not only thinking, I guess, outside of the box in the context of a larger society, but also forcing myself out of my own mental comfort zone, I see it as a tool, uh, a tool to be used with intention for sure. See, that's kind of, that's, that's definitely parallels my uh, drinking journey as of late in, in, a, in the same regard. Um, I find that I'm most comfortable with it when it's something that I'm going into with usually a semblance of a plan <laughs> and a reason um, why. Usually it deals with trying to be a little bit more extroverted and comfortable in situations and scenarios where I know I'm safe, but I can get really into my head because of like social anxiety, essentially. Um, and it kind of helps takes the edge off around strangers that don't mean me any harm, but also create uh, potential neurotic feelings <laughs> inside me. I definitely get that. I, I uh, similarly enjoy, especially if I'm guest starring on a, for example, a stream, maybe I'm somewhat nervous to go on and a lot of pressure. I definitely enjoy getting a small buzz to help me loosen my inhibitions slightly. <clears throat> Do you think that stems from a sort of perfectionistic quality or taking yourself too seriously, or is it something else for you? That's more than likely what it is. I, I am absolutely a perfectionist, absolutely take myself quite well I don't know I don't necessarily take my I take myself quite seriously at times and other times I take myself very you know uh unseriously I was trying to think of a better word than because I don't even think that is a word but you probably know what I mean I, I guess yeah I do believe it is important to me that I command respect in a sense mm -hmm. however I'm not rigid and sort of militaristic about it uh, right. And I I'm also perfectly saying. happy with calling myself into question and being a ridiculous individual. But I also want to make sure that I maintain sort of a, a level of, I, I say professionalism, but professionalism to me is very different than I think professionalism to a lot of people. For me, professionalism is, is more associated with the quality of my creative output. Right. Knowing your own shit. Yes. Yes. And not necessarily the formality around it. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. It's, it's, it's all about, uh, yeah, ma maintaining that, that sort of standard, I guess, for myself of creativity. And so that, that definitely gets me anxious. Also, just I think a lot of times, especially with me being still relatively young in my journey on, on Twitch, whenever I'm guest starring on a show, I know that this is potentially an opportunity for me to make a good impression on some amount of people. And I get a little nervous that I fuck it up. Right. Yeah. I, I feel you on holding yourself to similar standards. I mean, cause like on one hand I have the whole karaoke segments in, in my stream, which are pretty much the lowest of the low in, <laughs> in how seriously I basically don't take myself or kind of wish that I didn't take myself. <laughs> I love um, karaoke, and then also, by the way. It's a great, 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 uh, segment. it's weirdly empowering, you know, once you, you know, you do something that you're not particularly proud of in, in the traditional channels that you would normally find pride in. So for me, like 
uh, accomplishment or quality, right? It's mm-hmm. weird taking pride in something that's inherently silly. Oh, um, yeah. And a friend kind of taught me that, that sometimes you just need to be a little silly every once in a while. And if people can still appreciate you for it, um, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of, I don't know, a lot to be cherished in that. So I've been taking some solace in that. But then, like, on the other hand, like you said, it's also important to me to feel like um, that I have worthwhile things to discuss or say and rebound off of other people in chat. And that affirmation is super key, I think, when it comes to, like, the just chatting portions that aren't revolving around bad singing. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Well, I think, first of all, I think the only bad singing is singing that doesn't have heart and soul put into it that's that's how i feel about it i feel like if you're full send if you're committed to it it's good because you're committed to it that's just i I want to believe in in that sort of performative entertainment quality um but it is definitely something that i have to get used to oh yeah in some ways i have some practice with getting used to it now but um but like like we were talking earlier I, I tend to take myself a lot more seriously than that, and I have a pretty uh, specific image, I guess, ideal of what that looks like, and that was something I never would have originally factored into a week-to-week occurrence. <laughs> That's very cool, though. I think for me, uh, maybe a similar journey, I've been, or was, quite a rigid individual. I am a big fan of Henry Rollins' writings and, and speeches, and of course, I'm a, a huge fan of Black Flag. And one of the reasons I always liked Henry Rollins is because I identified a lot with his sort of stoic nature, not in the sense that I wanted to strive to be like that, but in the sense that I just was like that. I was very solitary and very uh, lacking in expression more often than not. And even though I was moody, I would kind of just like, you know, hold it in. And, and so I've, I've worked a lot more on being more outwardly expressive and learning to like become comfortable with it. And it gets it got easier and easier for me you know, to where I can now pretty easily be kind of a a goofy type of character. But for a really long time, it was, it was extremely difficult. Do you feel like you can still pretty easily tap into that stoicism when you want to? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And honestly, a lot of times I'm still very much like that. Not when I'm live, but offline. And especially you may see it in my stream whenever someone comes in and says something that I don't care for. I'll get very... (laughs) very very stern with them (laughs) i respect that i i've always found it difficult to kind of brush off um new people in chat because i i a lot of our a lot of the chat has a good amount of trolley components and in my head like what separates this person from being like my best friend in two years is something that i tend to think about a lot and i used to have this rule for the mods where they were like, we're absolutely not allowed to ban anyone because I always like, I wanted to believe in like the second chance and like winning them over uh, if they happen to come back essentially. Um, Recently I've not had the same level of patience, (laughs) but I think that's something that I still aspire to. But um, when you were talking about stoicism, that really rung true for me though. I think maybe in a, in a different front, I actually find it exceptionally easy to like be a pretty stoic person Anytime there's no one around me, um, mm. and I'd prefer not being around people almost, oh I think, goodness. because of that. Same here. Um, because it's just so nice to be, like, level sometimes oh, and yeah. even-keeled and um, focused. Like, my productivity and my focus around said productivity is, like, one of the most important, I don't know, aspects to 
my drive day to day and also my personality. And anytime like it feels like someone's taking away from that, however intentionally with even like the best of intentions and will, I uh, <laughs> it's hard for me not to at least occasionally get into a place where it's easier to resent than not because I, I so much I value my time with myself so much. Oh my goodness. I, as you're saying all of this, I'm almost just quivering and just like, yes, like, oh, I feel that so much. I love being alone. And that's another thing I always appreciate about Henry Rollins is they'd ask him, they're like, here, you know, no one ever sees you out in the town. No one ever sees you hanging out with friends. He's like, I don't like to be around people. <laughs> I'm just like, thank you. I mean, it's okay. You know, you don't have to like being around people or all, all the time, at least. Sometimes it's nice, but like, it's okay to be uh, more or less, uh, for me, I would consider myself a bit of a recluse and I'm fully okay with that. I think there's a lot to say positively about enjoying time with yourself more than your average person. Um, I've always considered it like a strength. Self-love is one of those things that's exceptionally difficult to tap into. Um, and I feel very lucky that I'm almost always leaning that, like, to, towards the maybe loving myself too much and love spending time with myself too much category than the opposite because I feel like I would be a wreck if I was in the opposite situation. Oh, yeah. Same here. Even just I do like to periodically have these really uh, I like I love conversation. So it's this interesting dichotomy where I love to kind of have a really good conversation like this and almost a podcast for me. It is a podcast, but it's also like this this ability for me to, OK, I can tap into a social nature here, have a lovely conversation, but it's just a, a short little thing that I do. And then the rest of my time, I can be fully alone and with myself that day, which is exactly what I love. And so it's exactly within my comfort zone, if that makes sense. Right. No, it totally makes sense. Like my favorite forms of communication are like long form asynchronous email type of correspondence <laughs> for basically oh, the same yeah. reason. And I'm and I'm not a type A person at all, but I am anal about scheduling socialization for like the same reason that you mentioned in that I get to like, all right, this is going to be the day that I like, you know, get to interact in an expressive way with people I care about or maybe not, you know, maybe they're new or whatever. And then I'm not going to do anything of that sort the whole next day after. And I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, same here. I have everything on every platform set to no notifications, do not disturb. And just like as a general rule, I... I or offline invisible entirely. Oh, yeah, I love, <laughs> I love going offline. Oh, it's such a treat. But I, I, I am a... I like to leave messages just like unread until I feel very ready to read them. And I've even gotten to the point of where yeah. I schedule certain time slots of like, I will check messages at this time. And outside of this, like no one will be able to hear from me at all, like ever yeah. for any reason, period. And it's not personal. It's just, I do not, I do not, I cannot give my, my energy away like that. And for me, it, it is a big drain. Oh my God. Exactly. Like I actually can get excited about sitting down and like going through DMs as a whole package, oh, but yeah. only every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's nice <laughs> too when they accumulate basis. and you're ready for it. You're like, okay, I have the energy for this, and like, oh, look at all these messages. Some of these are exciting. And you can be so productive. Like, I can go like boom, boom, boom with like so many different like topics and emotions and people, and it's yeah, no, it's very satisfying. I, <laughs> I agree. I, I've never really totally understood those people that like need the the live, um, super instant prompt responses. There was a person in my life who would blow up at me every time I didn't reply within 16 hours. It was like a very weirdly hard set um, mark. And it gave me such bad anxiety oh because goodness. it was one of those situations where like, 
I can sleep 16 hours. <laughs> you know? Oh, for sure. I for just, sure. Especially oh. if you, I mean, for me, I can easily sleep 16 hours if I've pulled uh, maybe an all nighter the day before or even just stayed up a little extra longer. I don't know, worked hard or something. I, I definitely don't enjoy feeling that beholden to someone who's not oh, myself. Yeah. Me neither. Me neither. It drives me crazy, actually. Um, probably one of my biggest things I have zero tolerance for is people getting upset at me for not responding or for maybe like leaving them on red. Sometimes the conversation is just over and you know, right. You leave someone on red. That's just like how it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but like if someone God, gets people mad at who me, feel entitled ooh. to that time oh, or yeah. your response. That is a big, for me, that is a, a, a moment when I get really stoic and maintain <laughs> that boundary. I say, Hey, look, this is not okay. For me. I love that you have that respect for your, your boundaries and your time. I aspire to it, and um, I'm usually pretty good about verbally disclaiming in advance, like, hey, just so you guys know, I might not get to the DM right away. You know, usually when someone asks me that uh, in chat or elsewhere, I'll, like, throw that out right away because I know, like, in when the time comes and they, like, confront me, I'm like, ah, mm. shit, confrontation, no, I'm bad <laughs> at this. And I've spent so long, like, trying to get better, but it's, it is, it's tough. And even with, like, all my own personal self-worth that I have on the table that I actively respect and sometimes revere, it's still difficult for me to just tell someone, like, no. Mm. It can honestly, it can still be pretty difficult for me. A lot of times, I think really for me, the, the time when I all of a sudden become good at confrontation is when someone says something that really pisses me off and it gets my blood up. And then all of a sudden I'm ready for it. You but, channel it. Yeah, exactly. I channel my rage. <laughs> exactly. But in a, if it's, if it's kind of someone being polite, but I do feel that maybe it violates a, a boundary. I'm a lot, I'm a, it's a lot more difficult because I don't wish to hurt their feelings. If someone says something I don't like, I don't really care anymore. You know, like if they say something right. super rude, I'm I'm totally okay with pissing them off. But if it's someone I like, I have to be a little more delicate, and that part is is tough for me. Right, because it's sometimes telling someone you don't want to talk as much or that you aren't up to talking now can feel very akin to like rejecting that person as a whole. And like you said, it's not personal, but not everyone operates in the same energy spaces as you do, so they might not understand that. Um, yeah, fully. that's exactly how it is. I, I, it's nice, though, because I will say I feel like more and more people are becoming aware of that. And I think a general I don't know, at least the people I interact with, I do believe. Generally, human beings are becoming more emotionally intelligent and just more aware of even the idea of having boundaries, if that makes sense. Mm. Like having a discussion almost like this about boundaries is not something I think I would have even thought to have maybe like 10 years ago. Well, 10 years ago, I was a child, but you know what I mean? Uh, in yeah. the context of the world. And I'm glad that <clears throat> there's an increasing awareness for it. I am as well, though. I, I do know a couple people who um, kind of feel almost threatened by that. And I have to imagine that they're part of the problem <laughs> if that's like their first reaction. I think so. Um, but I, I think the other thing that kind of gets me on this topic is and I don't know if you feel the same way, but it's like when you receive the really thoughtless and generic type of questions um, oh. in your inbox, like the how's life, that like the most furious. generic, yeah, basic <laughs> time wasting of a question where like I could get into that. You know, I could tell this person 
everything that I've been up to this week, what I'm excited for, you know, where am I, like maybe I'm planning a trip or how my relationship with my dad is like, I could really get into that. But when someone puts like the 0.01% of effort into actually getting to know you and then you feel like you're doing the 110% like response back, oh my God, that one's, that one's a big a big toughie for me especially because they don't mean it in like a bad way they just want to create conversation but that effort that lack of effort always gets me it actually makes me really angry and i i, I kind of wish it didn't but to me i can't help but take it as you don't respect my time because mm. you're not willing to you know put in the same effort that you're asking of me so like do you think do you think my time is somehow like just less valuable than yours this is what how it feels and i know that's not right. what it is but that's how it feels to me and, uh, yeah, like the, the, Hey, what's up messages make me want to like smash something, honestly. <laughs> okay. I'm glad we're on the same, on the same boat with that. Honestly, a lot of the ways that you talk about, um, like relationships and interactions, especially as it pertains to like self and introversion is like right on the money for me personally. So I, I, I had to, I had to know. <laughs> You know, it's interesting because I've, I tested uh, with, a well, yeah, of course, the Myers-Briggs test is, is fallible, right? But mm -hmm. I, I did take um, like a real deal Myers-Briggs test when I first entered my, my college. We had the whole like full thing that you normally have to pay a bunch of money for, but they wanted us to do it because we we're in some program. I don't even know what the reason was exactly. But so I had this comprehensive Myers-Briggs test that gave me the personality type uh, ENFP with, you know, of course, they had this kind of range of percentages where, you know, maybe I'm E, but I have this many I characteristics or whatever. Mm. And so meaning I'm an extrovert and I could kind of see that because I can definitely be an extrovert, but I'm right. absolutely an introvert most of the time. That's so funny. Have I have I told you that I test out between INFP and ENFP like every other? <laughs> oh, wow. I think well, what I've learned, I believe, about ENFP or, or even INFP is that they're somewhat fluid in the sense that ENFPs are very likely to act very introverted a lot of the time. I guess supposedly the primary difference, according to the text I've read, is that ENFPs, when, when I guess necessary or when they so choose, can tap into a powerful extroversion. Hmm. I don't know. I, this I, is all I don't sort know. Of I think it's fascinating. Too. Usually when I'm, when I'm going into taking a personality quiz, which I was a lot more interested in when I was in my adolescent years, because that makes sense, right? Coming of age and learning about yourself. Of course. Um, I always assume the reason I tested out as extrovert occasionally uh, was because a lot of the questions for those are uh, as to test your extroversion are based on your sociability. Mm, and true. introverts are maybe traditionally less sociable uh, because of, you know, the proclivities of being around people and that being exhausting and probably less fun. But at the same time, it's super possible to be an introvert that actually enjoys, you know, human interaction and isn't complete shitty at it you know <laughs> absolutely um absolutely and i feel like i fall into that category i've been calling it like performative introvert um that's a good way in the to sense it. that like or i guess it'd be technically like you're performative extroverting but like yeah <laughs> it's something that i kind of i tap into when when the setting and the scene and the mood and the people are right and that's also i think why and i don't know if this is true for you but i've always been um intrigued enticed by extroverted jobs primarily so if we go back a few years um serving is like a lot of people a good amount of energy um interacting with said people um 
modeling is always about like a lot of channeling like high intents of expression <laughs> towards the camera that is absolutely draining that. Um, so I've, I've, I've never completely understood why I felt that way. I mean, I do enjoy writing. So that's like my one extra introverted, um, I suppose, hobby <laughs> dream. But for the most part, I, I tend to get the most enjoyment and fulfillment out of jobs that involve people, despite being exhausted by people. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I'm, I'm the same way. Like I, I get a lot of joy out of Twitch because I get to constantly have these conversations. It's such a strange <laughs> duality that absolutely exists. And I've never really been able to fully explain or comprehend it. I just know that's how it is for me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why, like I couldn't, I don't think I could logically explain this to anybody, but that's just how it works. You know, uh, I, it's just sort of shrug. Like I didn't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> So I was, How did you? Oh, oh no, go on. Oh, I will. We, normally, so we we jumped into a, like a beautiful and amazing discussion. But truthfully speaking, for uh, many people that listen to this, will probably know who you are. However, for those that don't, what's 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 the why of Carreros? That's the question I prefer to ask. As far as like, what do you do for a living? I think is kind of a shitty question, but the why I think is a lot more. <laughs> um. I think in some ways I, I lucked out because the Coreros means um, like discussion or meeting. Um, it's like a, a way to like have a conversation and um, in Maori, which is a, I believe in a New Zealand Aboriginal uh, language. And I, this, the, the way that that came about was just kind of a, a Google off of a very similar sounding pen name that I'd been operating under. And I think for me, that's a lot of a lot of what I strive to do is create conversation um, because I, I'm a big believer in understanding people. Uh, and this is also why I find it difficult to outright dislike or hate anyone, because I feel like like understanding facilitates uh, a lot of empathy <laughs> for better or worse. And um, the more I understand someone, the more I feel like I can't really truly hate or dislike anyone which is some kind of it's kind of like a dangerous <laughs> i suppose um outlook in some ways uh but i really i i think at the end of the day i actually genuinely um enjoy people and uh want to believe in humanity i don't know how much that translates to actually believing in humanity more often than not but um i think for me it, it has a lot to do with hoping or, or being hopeful in regards to human and human nature. I have so many friends that have had a lot more negative experiences with people, um, but I, I personally have not, so maybe it's a little bit easier for me to feel that way. Um, just I've been in a lot of situations that could have gone like sketch or south really, really quickly, um, but then maybe the random good-natured stranger swoops in or um, things didn't actually escalate to the point of a uh, particularly like, negative situation. And because of those experiences growing up, I think I'm pretty like pro believing in humans, uh, which is weird to say because I don't actually consider myself particularly optimistic or positive, even though I <laughs> think I get a lot of those adjectives ascribed to me <laughs> a good amount of the time. Um, I feel that in fact, I sure. consider myself more on the cynical side in that, <laughs> yeah. um, when I was like talking, when I was talking to someone and they were, um, talking about like the, the plans for the future and how important it is for them to be able to envision it with the people they care about. And I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> man, like the universe 
is cruel yeah. and fate is whack you and you cannot put tomorrow. any expectations on people i just want to be happy like with like the people i care about now and i'm just gonna assume all of that's gonna crumble tomorrow so i'm just gonna Same enjoy here. it and i so i feel like if i like my cynicism man manifests in like a certain amount of resignation for the future <laughs> but at the same time my day-to-day -day living is actually in a lot of people's respects very positive because i just think everything's gonna go like to hell soon so i mean i <laughs> might as well enjoy um everything in the interim i don't think that explains the why uh it does explain that why i talk so much on chatting with completely random strangers where m people might consider that to be somewhat a waste of time right because they maybe haven't earned the right to like a personal conversation with uh someone whose attention might be contested or divided um and i don't know like i almost always prioritize new people coming in because i love talking and learning about people and everyone has like a different story or a different background that i'm never going to be able to tap into in one lifetime and that's like the most efficient way for me to do so i guess a lot of who i am revolves around just a sense of input and learning um, I'm like a voracious for learning about others um, and, and in general, but definitely am more motivated when it comes to people because then you can create, you know, potentially long lasting relationships or friendships um, with that knowledge. And instead of just kind of just having the knowledge, it's like a bonus. <laughs> I absolutely. Uh, first, a lot of these things I, I actually deeply identify with and kind of getting chills even just the, some of the ways you describe it i think for me is just very clarifying you know to hear someone else say things that i sort of think if that makes sense you never you ever hear just like someone give a speech and you're internally just like yes yes that <laughs> exactly um that's very kind i i'm enamored I, by your vocabulary hold on <laughs> it's just because i read books well, it's bullshit people say people think i'm intelligent it's total crap it's a fucking illusion i just read books and i know like a like a few extra words that there's a lot to say about reading books, especially nonfiction. I feel like, Oh yeah. It's kind of hard. Sometimes I, I read a lot of nonfiction almost. I kind of hate that. I almost exclusively read nonfiction nowadays, but it's the truth. <laughs> it does I miss sound fiction. like a, a mite pretentious, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, I'm so fascinated by the abundance of knowledge and human experience out there. I describe myself as abundantly interested in humanity and, what could exist or the ideas that could exist, which is why I find philosophy so interesting and why mm. I find the stories of others so interesting. But also what you had to say about <clears throat> this sort of people, maybe sometimes often will, you know, say, Oh, you're a you know, positive individual. This is a positive community. I love the positive energy around there often surprises me because I never see myself as positive. I very much see myself as somewhat of a, of a morbid and kind of, yeah, like cynical individual, yeah, like you know, slightly the, misanthropic. Yeah. I mean, all the, almost all the art I consume is extremely negative. You know, it's all about like, like death and or negative to some, to me, it's amazing, you know, death. And, um, you know, uh, for example, one of my favorite artists for a long time, uh, fuck you Baker on Instagram has sort of a similar energy <laughs> to the work. It's like this kind of almost cheerful nihilism at times. Oh my God. I love that. I love it too. I love it too. So you'll have, I'm going to drop in, uh, in our little discord call, just a quick photo to kind of show you what I'm talking about. But it, uh, it, for me really clicks with the things that I feel. And, and for, for me, I also very much believe that as a species, <laughs> we're standing on the edge of Armageddon and I act accordingly. Uh, and I guess I just don't, I think that 
very much nothing is guaranteed. Mm, exactly. And uh, so I'm surprised when people say I'm positive because uh, I don't think of myself as positive. But maybe, maybe the real, I think the real story sometimes is that a lot of individuals that claim to be positive and a lot of people that are advocates for, for rampant positivity are actually full of shit. And people appreciate <laughs> when someone's just very authentic with them. Oh, yeah, real. Yeah. No, I get that feeling from you a lot, actually. I was going to say the other word, maybe like, I feel like maybe I just come off as well adjusted <laughs> to oh. like the reality of, well, my I reality so. of the I would situation, so. which in my eyes is actually somewhat, you know, negatively colored, but maybe to someone else because I'm living my best life in that. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's just yes. all relative. I'm all about making do with what I've got. DIY. I even have it in one of my tattoos. Where I mean, I you have triple coupons. You're, yeah. You're, you're living it. <laughs> I, I, I work with what I got. You know, my, I'm not, I'm by no means living high on the hog per se, but I very much enjoy the modest little, uh, you know, hole in the wall that I've carved out for myself. And I have really no complaints and I'm perfectly okay with having very little. You know, because to me, the more important things are, are not at all. First of all, I mean, just money in general is kind of like whatever to me, which is a problem because I need to be somewhat more business minded. Um, but <laughs> I, I, you know, need it for bills. And outside of that, I'm kind of just like, eh, you know, I don't like the way this feels. Right. And in this space, I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who do almost kind of obsess over the numbers, right? Whether of that's oh sub count or financials or, you know, concurrence or whatever. And those things, in my opinion, are like completely out of my control. Like I can control oh, yeah. what content I put out, but I can't control who gravitates to that content. Right. Absolutely. And so because I've disconnected myself from the outcome, I feel so much. And then you were talking about Buddhism earlier, and I feel like some mm. of this kind of ties in. Uh, like all I can do is control what I what I put out into the space. And if people like it, then that's awesome. And if people don't, then I'm like, I'm still going to do it because it's something I'm passionate about. And that doesn't have to emotionally negatively affect me uh, like some of the other friends in this space. So um, I think it's, it is like, it's kind of that, I hate this adage, but it's like that whole, it's about the journey, not about the end result sort yeah, of thing. I say that a and lot I too, just, and I, I also <laughs> similarly hate it because it's one of those overused so, Instagram yeah. inspirational quotes, but it's very, it's quite true often. I mean, initially it comes from, you know, it's the Tao, right? But it's been mm. just destroyed by the new age movement. <laughs> I first discovered this when I was uh, doing writing pretty exhaustively, and I didn't get my first book published. And just like even completing a book is a huge accomplishment, but it's hard to oh, remember absolutely. that when your goal is to publish. And I and I remember sitting there, and I was like, you know, I in some ways I wouldn't wish a passion of writing on my worst enemy because I don't want anyone to have to go through that. But on the other hand. I realized that even if I never published anything ever, it wouldn't stop me from writing because I love it so much. And that's when it like kind of hit me that there's so much like peace in a certain amount of resignation, not to the point where you lose your drive, but enough to where you aren't attached to, you know, whether or not your next book becomes a, a bit mess, you know, bestseller or whatever, or sells it all. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <clears throat> that's, that's, uh, I think for me where, where, the cheerful nihilism comes in where I'm perfectly okay with the fact that I have very little control over most of the, most of reality, most of the world, but you know, whatever I got going on, I'll control it to the, and, and do the best I can with it. 
And whatever happens, happens, and I, I don't expect anything, I suppose. Whereas some people will be very much into the idea of envisioned success. I personally, mm. I don't think it's helpful for me because it sets this expectation, and I don't believe expectations are ever particularly helpful to oh, no. making you feel good in any way, shape, or form. So I am like vehemently anti-expectation, and I think some of this stems from like my experience in relationships in well friendships i can use the word interchangeably but like i am always like very verbal about people not having expectations on especially people that they just meet um oh, a lot yeah. of sometimes we give like real you know i i don't want to say relationship advice but relationship correspondence occasionally happens in chat and there's always like that one person who like will meet someone and is like all right this is the girl this is the one i'm gonna marry and i'm like oh i didn't realize that was up to you <laughs> like, <Yeah>. good luck <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've been in that spot myself and it's always it's sort of, I want to navigate it in the best way where I don't want to just shut them down. And I'd be like, Hey, have you ever thought like, maybe this person doesn't feel the same way. And like, how, how what about then? You know? And yeah, have they're you like, thought well, of them as their own sovereign entity. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's hard for me to kind of get, I, cause I, I believe this is maybe I believe oh, something Socrates practiced in the field of philosophy and Socrates was kind of an asshole about it. But this idea of bringing someone to the inevitable conclusion that maybe you wish to bring them to or you think that is kind of true through through discussion and kind of questioning. So Socrates would go on these, you know, discussions with people where he'd kind of act dumbfounded and astounded and he'd ask them questions that were seemingly, you know, just inquisitive in general. But his intention <laughs> was to bring them to the conclusion um, that he, you know, that he believed and was often, you know, pretty, pretty clear. And so I think I have that with, with questions like that, where I'll ask them, I'll be like, well, you know, all this, this, that, and the other to kind of get them to realize that, you know, if this person isn't into you, that is outside of your control and like, that's okay. And you really shouldn't like force them or try to force them to do that because you're just going to push them away and uh, it's going to come across very toxic and yeah. Right. The, like the manifestation or, or rather someone trying to manifest their in like visions into reality when it involves another person is in my opinion usually quite dangerous oh um, yeah oh yeah but <laughs> i think that for me i know that the vast majority of reality is outside of my control and i exert whatever influence i can on it mm. and see just kind of how it responds and and then and go from there i suppose like so i, I suppose if it was uh it was the case of i want to I guess two of my big goals. Two of my big goals in the next two years are are publish a collection of short stories and to uh, be on or have a show on Adult Swim, right? And so oh, I'll do everything cool. within my power to make that happen. And maybe it turns out that that just isn't, you know, that isn't going to happen. That isn't what's meant to happen. And if so, I will adjust my trajectory accordingly. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's my ideal, but I don't necessarily expect to get it and I don't expect to get it for any specific reason. Right. Right. Like with someone like you, even if, for, you know, for some reason that, that didn't happen, I have no doubt that whatever you'd be doing instead is going to be like just as cool or interesting and just as grunge, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Thank you. like I, I feel confident that I'll find a way all... to, to make something solid happen. I think. Hmm. I didn't know that about your uh, dream, though. How did the podcast develop, if you don't mind me asking? You mentioned it was because, um, to some degree, a nice kind of uh, so controlled socialization um, uh, outlet, I suppose. 
Uh, but was there any other inspiration that went into it? Well, more or less my entire life, probably one of my biggest loves has just been digging super deep into a long form conversation with someone and getting to know them. And so actually the reason I first started smoking cigarettes was because whenever I went to parties in high school, the main area of the party where everyone's inside playing beer pong and drinking was just like loud. I couldn't talk uh, to anybody. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was talk to somebody. Uh, that's why I can't stand like bars or clubs. Like uh, I, I just want the conversation. I'm, but in I'm the not, smoking you know. area, you can have a conversation. So it's quite, oh, so that's shoot. why I started smoking. Um, more or less, you know, and <laughs> I, I agree though. I hate clubs. Some bars are cool. Depends on the kind of bar. I like a more of a speakeasy True. type of bar that's kind of low key, and you can sit down and have a cocktail and just like talk, and there's like maybe a little nice jazz playing. Uh, that's mm. that's my that's my speed personally. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you. I for a couple of years I did this thing where if anyone messaged me on Facebook, which at the time it was considerable, even though I wasn't streaming, I there's like a lot of friend collectors and modeling photos out there that was enough to pique certain people's interests. And I would get like random PMs about, hey, do you want to like go out for drinks? And for a couple of years, I would just say yes to anyone, um, regardless of how much I did or didn't know them, usually not at all. And, um, and so that was kind of my way of, I guess, experiencing a lot of life in a short period of time. Uh, we would We would go wherever basically they suggested. Um, and I would just kind of converse with this basically completely random stranger for a couple hours and probably never see them again because I would say that the majority of the time it wasn't exceptionally fascinating. Um, but even in that, there's usually a lot to learn. Um, and that was something like I never regret. But for other people that could have posed like a really dangerous or ultimately like negative conclusion. Um, and for me, it was just kind of ultimately inspiring. And so like similar to what you said, it just I've always kind of gravitated towards um, trying to facilitate or create uh, places where there's you can have like a meaningful discussion. And it's not about, you know, the, the small talk topics of the day, pop culture, the weather, and you can get into like the meat of why you are, why, you know, who you are and if you like yourself. And <laughs> I remember I actually do have a story about this. Um, there's this one pretty high profile uh, streamer who I got quite close to, even though I wasn't streaming at the time and had no connection with, simply because I asked uh, them a question in uh, their inbox because they were doing like an AMA. And I was like, you know, I've never done this before. I'm not really the type of person to completely unsolicitously uh, message another individual. But you know, what the heck? And I, and I messaged them, um, how would you describe yourself if like, you know, from the perspective of a friend or something? It was like a really innocuous question, but it was more thoughtful than perhaps 90% of the other questions that they'd gotten in their inbox. And it took this person actually like two weeks to reply. And when they finally did, it was 16 pages long. Oh. <laughs> and that was like the spark of our friendship though. because I replied in 17 pages. And then we just developed like this long form e-pen pal situation for literally several years ongoing where every few months I will send them a like two page dissertation on what I've been up to. And then they'll return that in a couple of months. And it's been really cute. Um, but I think like the power of just wanting to get to know someone for who they are, as opposed to, like you said, what they do or what other external components that to some degree can be controlled and to others might have been forced on us I, is a lot more interesting to me. 
I was actually just having a, a conversation about this before we started recording with one of my friends about how this idea that in the context of Twitch, you always hear, I think, people that would consider themselves small streamers. And I don't really like the idea of considering oneself a small streamer. I think you're just you're a streamer. But uh, I they there there's often a complaint in these Twitter threads or whatever, you know, YouTube comments, Reddit, take your pick of like, oh, these these big streamers don't like want to help us or don't want to work with us, et cetera. And to me, the the really like, I mean, I'm sure there's some of these people that maybe just don't care about others, right? But there's also the fact that so many people see these individuals as instead of a, a person as a stepping stone for their own career mm. is exactly why they have no interest in working with you. You know, like right. I wouldn't either. <laughs> that is really fucking annoying. And yeah. I, I've found the same thing. You know, there's plenty of people that maybe they are, are well-known or they have a huge platform or they have a really cool job, something to me that seems like, wow, why would they ever give time to me? Little old major grunge, but, but I find myself regularly having, you know, a, a, an excellent conversation with these people because I am actually interested in, in, in hearing what they have to say and getting to know them. Right. I can't tell you how many random messages I got when I started streaming. Um, to, I suppose, a quote-unquote larger audience than than the people who are messaging me about. And, like, these people I'd never, like, I hadn't even spoken to in, like, six years, right? And <sighs> and in my yeah. mind, it's oh, yeah. not like I'm in, on, like, some exceptionally large platform or anything, but, like, it's it, it brought so many, in, like, people out of the woodwork the second that that happened. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> like, your, your drive is a little transparent there. <laughs> Isn't that unfortunate? I've, I have had sort of a similar experience, especially as it's become clear to, I guess, those around me or maybe those that used to know me that I'm very much uh, serious about Twitch and that it's something that, you know, I'm developing hard. I've had more and more people that maybe I've known in the past that have had some sort of aspirations in content creation mm. that maybe, maybe I knew them vaguely in high school or something like that or, or things of that nature. And they're just hitting me up and trying to ask for a collaboration or something. And I just I'm thinking in my mind, like, we don't even know each other well enough to collaborate. Yeah, like, like, what are you talking about? And in that sort of sense, like, where were you at the beginning of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. of this arc? And how much more, like, someone of a of a larger, uh, metrically speaking, you know, platform must get? Exactly. They must get like the aunts of oh. like their like long lost cousin's best friend, younger brother. You know what I mean? And just like the sheer volume of direct messages one can receive with even a modest size platform is exhausting, even if I think you aren't a person that is typically exhausted by social interaction. So like mm. I can't I can't imagine if you are a, a, a large, you know, a thousand viewer streamer, et cetera. Plus, uh, you probably are just bombarded constantly with people that are trying to demand some degree of your attention. And I wouldn't blame I wouldn't blame anybody for just more or less deleting almost all their DMs just because like I there's no way you can give that much of yourself away to people. Yeah. At that point it's like self-preservation. Exactly. <laughs> I, it really is. And other people I think think it's like an unfeeling kind of cold business-like approach but I I mean at the end of the day that streamer's just a human who is dealing with like a thousand times more um volume than you're in your than in your inbox so i don't know i i definitely sympathize for sure 
I I always envied a little bit people who are true extroverts in this sort of position because in my mind I'm like oh my god they could probably just stream stream forever you know <laughs> like they could just channel the energy of chat and and never stop going but I I don't think I don't think that's necessarily healthy either at least that we've seen yeah I, I it's it's difficult for me to know I had a thought the other day when I was sort of lying down trying to go to sleep unsuccessfully and thinking about how this expression that people say quite frequently of the lock a mile in someone else's shoes is an impossible request. Uh, because as much as we can try our best to understand someone's perspective and sympathize, and I think, I think empathy is, well, extremely powerful, right? Hearing someone's story can tell you a lot about them. Simultaneously, just due to the range of, of how our experiences color our day-to-day -day and it, not to mention just other things like, for example, I'm, I'm an individual that suffers from uh, from depression that suffers from well, suffers from I work with ADHD, you know, and I mm. and I have, you know, these various different sort of neurological uh, uh, roller coasters going on in my brain. And that colors my experience as well. And everyone has something that is sort of different or unique, and maybe they don't even know that about themselves. And so the idea of, uh, of walking a mile in someone else's shoes only goes really so far. Right. It's definitely, it feels like more of a service level statement. Yeah. Um, even if the sentiment is something. <laughs> it's this weird, I, I'm so often just sort of shocked at <clears throat> how insidious some of the false positivity movements are. Or I mean, they're they're not false. They they claim to be ob obviously authentic positivity, but the whole Instagram positivity quote culture scene and and stuff of that nature to me is is really uh, scary. That being said, mm -hmm. I do think there's something to be said about there's a there's a punk rock band called the Bad Brains, right? <clears throat> Hardcore band, excellent, and they had this whole concept of PMA, positive mental attitude, and the idea wasn't rampant positivity. The idea was orienting the brain in the positive direction and <clears throat> generally doing your best to manifest positive outcomes for you and those around you or, or, or not manifest necessarily, but pursue and, and act as if this is a possibility. Right. And so the big thing with the bad brains was in the punk scene, you know, there's a lot of kind of, uh, there's, there's a famous actually book written by, I think legs McNeil called please kill me an oral history of punk. Right. And so I think this captures it well of this just rage and sort of nihilism and almost like desire for it just to be like, everything to burn right and, and the bad brains are sort of pushing back against this they're like i get that you're angry but that doesn't mean you have to be full of rage and self-loathing right it doesn't have to manifest itself in a, a negative outcome or i don't know i'm a pretty big believer of channeling what could be seen traditionally as like a negative emotion into like more positive areas it, or I don't know, opportunities. So like in a similar way, if you're like pissed and you go maybe work out, right? Yes, there we go. <laughs> um, that's something that I think is possible to train, but I, it's not definitely not without effort. Um, I guess my question to you, Grunge, is do you think the, uh, the rampant positivity is ultimately negative, like more negative than positive? Or do you think it's just, it, like by this, the fact that it exists means it's helping a little? I think that there is a certain dimension of this culture that's fully negative and almost, I would even go as far as to say like insidious, uh, because it has been turned into an industry uh, in the business mm -hmm. world, especially in the world of entrepreneurial content. 
that you have to have this rampant positive attitude and you get up and you grind and you hit the positive power thoughts and you, you know, crush mm -hmm. it on LinkedIn. You write a sweet medium article about how productive you can be in a day. And like you clap for other LinkedIn people that are just talking about how they're, you know, they just totally, um, did some, you know, insert CEO marketing business word here, you know? Um, and, and that to me is super twisted because mm. it's just very, like, it's just dishonest and people, desperate people, people that are in very dark places turn to that because they're looking for something to help. And when that falls through, it often sends you spiraling even deeper down. And the only reason I know this is true is because I've been down this road. And that's, I think, why I have such a disdain for it. To some degree, a less insidious degree, I feel I have some complicated feelings, I think, on modesty culture for kind of similar reasons. Um, like, certainly, you know, I have my own personal ego, but I also feel like in I have to be self, more self-depreciating than maybe I actually want to be in more areas of my life. Um, because the, the idea of taking some credit for your accomplishments is kind of inherently considered a little arrogant or cocky or, you know, what I, right. and in the stream space, it's, it's, I don't know how much you can or can't even do that because of how much that is or is out of your control. Um, but I've always, I've always felt like a little empty in the fact that I don't usually get to talk about some of the cooler things that happen in my life because it would come off as bragging. Um, even though I feel like it's just part of my life and, you know, like other people are who establish what is or isn't an accomplishment. And, but if, if society deems that it is, then if you talk about it too much, it's like somehow a detriment to your personality. Um, and that one's always been kind of a tricky one for me to maneuver. Or that people even expect that by discussing maybe or celebrating your accomplishments, your that your goal is to somehow rub it in their face when in fact, or you're yeah, just, or you're taking someone else's away is interesting. It's I, it's kind of like a weird. I hate I hate the idea of this scarcity versus abundance mindset that a lot of people talk about. I just think it's like a weird uh, um, line to draw. I suppose. I'm looking for, oh, uh, a dichotomy, a weird dichotomy that doesn't like fully exist in either direction. But I do think that there is almost a feeling that someone else's success equals your failure in many people's minds. And I think that's really unfortunate. I, I can definitely see how that occurs, but I, I'm very much more of a cooperative uh, type of person. Like, I think it can be fun to tap into competitive things where, you oh, know, yeah. it's a game, but in real life, I, I'm very much more of the cooperative spirit uh, side of things. Like, and I, and I think that's something I've been really blessed by, like a lot of cross communities that feel similarly. Um, because when I was streaming on the platform eight years ago, it definitely felt a lot more like cutthroat. But maybe that's because we're in like the just chatting and the more modest spaces. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I do like the fact that people seem a lot more wholesome oriented when it comes to helping each other out and have even gone so far as to create like teams around um, supporting other people, which is cool. Oh, absolutely. I think I even bring this in uh, whenever I'm, whenever I'm offline and playing video games, I enjoy playing pretty sweaty uh, uh, shooters a lot. My current favorite is hunt showdown. And while many people I'll run into and in, in the looking for groups, 
uh, will be the type of person that dies and then begins, you know, screaming and getting angry and making excuses or slandering the person that killed them. I usually <laughs> like when I get killed by somebody that is clearly skilled, you know, they come around the corner, they bust out a quick headshot like it like it's nothing. I'm often just like, wow, good for them. That's that's impressive. You know, that's I guess how I feel. Because I don't know, I just don't think it's very helpful to d diminish others. I think it's better to look at it and see, wow, like this person is very skilled at that and I respect it. Right. Even or if use it's that as, to my like disadvantage here, perhaps. Right. Or use it to, to use it as fuel to self-improve, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I've, I've always, um, and, and maybe this is a personality thing, but I, I actually find it very difficult to blame others when I know I could have done something better. Oh, um, yeah. and I'll focus on everything that I could have done better as opposed to like externalizing it against said person. <laughs> I actually but read about this, this in a book into... called Extreme Ownership that I actually thought the thesis oh. was very interesting. The idea of owning everything because chances are there's something you could have done to better the situation. And even if it's not your fault, owning it will ultimately lead to you improving yourself uh, and, and, and resulting in a person that's well adjusted. I think taking responsibility is pretty important. Um, and then I also wonder how much this desert doesn't tie into like external and internal loci of control like schools of thought um as well because i definitely have a lot of friends who don't feel um don't have like an internal loci of control but for me that's like very key to who i am as a person um where do you fall on that i personally like to take responsibility for more or less okay it's okay there's an in-between for me because there's definitely things i know that are outside of my control that i try not to concern myself with mm. but if i look at a situation and recognize how i could influence differently i almost always will take responsibility for it i suppose did that fully answer your question i think so i okay. think so I'm just testing out to see how like-minded we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I'm curious uh, as well, something you mentioned, and I don't actually know that I've ever maybe never been around when you've talked about this or never asked about it, but you mentioned that you were, you were on Twitch, uh, I believe you said eight years ago? Yeah, yeah, okay. 2012. I'm very curious about that because I'm, well, I, I streamed for about a month in 2016, gave up, and now started streaming I, of, in earnest in 2019. And so my, my experience with Twitch is very much more or less what Twitch is now. Um, but I imagine in 2012, it was a very, very different space. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest difference is probably that there's a sense of community now, um, or like, you know, micro communities and a larger set of communities. <laughs> um, and the fact that just chatting was not in existence uh, back then. So anytime that you were streaming on Twitch, um, it was you were always playing a, a game. Uh, that was the standard. And there was the the hardware and the software weren't as easy to navigate or as accessible. So there were just less people on the platform and less um, and less competition in that sense. So it wasn't as saturated. Like if you went to, uh, I don't know, what, God, what games were out in 2012? <laughs> I was playing League of Legends. <laughs> but if you went to like, yeah, you wouldn't have had to scroll down for like 10 minutes to get to the bottom or even remotely close because th there were only like one or two pages of streamers, you know? Oh, wow. And so you would grow 
just by virtue of streaming. And that's why I think there was there's a popularity and push for people to stream longer hours. Now in 2020, that's not really the most effective method, I find. Uh, but some people still think it is because back then, as long as you just streamed a lot, people would find you and follow you. Um, and that was definitely true in my case. I Back then, I'd, I'd had some pretty like substantial raids by, again, uh, scarcity. So like process of elimination, uh, people of thousands of concurrents would semi-regularly raid you because there was basically no one else to yeah. choose from. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, it was kind of interesting because I was coming from a place of having like uh, somewhere between like 150 and 300 average concurrence. And then coming from that to going into like a just chatting of like 20 people uh, in the first couple months was like a super interesting adjustment. And how much, uh, you know, you, you, you begin to care about that, those 20 people so much more than maybe like the 300 lurkers that you had that were very, very rarely spoke because again, there was no sense of community or really any reason to outside of, I guess, thirsting, um, you know, right, right. it was, it's, yeah, it was, it was an interesting space. And I, I am very partial to like what Twitch has become. I know some people who are in more of the uh, purest video game nature, right. That remember <laughs> the time when Twitch was like almost exclusively just Twitch for gaming for hardcore gamers only <laughs> yeah i i like to satirize that with my content i know <laughs> it's, uh, gamer, it's so much I more refer vibrant to everybody now. as gamer which is well it's a, i think it's funny and also it's happens to be gender neutral as well which is helpful i um yeah i, I very much prefer the space that twitch is in now and there's like so much more diversity and types of content out there. And it's all honestly really, really inspiring how some people have utilized it uh, via maybe like technical effects, uh, a la grunge or um, <laughs> some of like the shows that occur now that oh, yeah. would have never like the existed Harry show based on. I, I mean, he's a good friend of mine and uh, I think, you know, him, him having a true crime like show is cool. Like you said, that, that, that stuff like that happens on Twitch. Sorry to interrupt. I just, I mean, no, I love that type of innovation because, like, that's what I want to see more of. I, I find the the webs, you know, webcam in the corner playing a video game to be like one of the most basic, Ugh. if not like banal, <laughs> ways that you can stream. Not that I'm obviously that's something that I do in my stream rel relatively regularly, um, but I'm always like thirsting and thinking about like how how what does the next innovation look like for this technology? Um, because I think that's that's going to be like a really key question. Uh, moving forward with live streaming for everyone. I very much feel that way too. And I've struggled a lot with it because of course I, I do the same thing, you know, gaming format, <clears throat> camera, uh, you know, generic Twitch formula. And I have gone through phases of where that was the only thing I did. And then I, then I found this, this scene that I now call deep Twitch. And I wanted to do, I wanted to never do that again for a while. And now I'm back to it where I think it's totally okay, especially if I'm streaming long hours because it's very difficult to sustain a show style of stream for seven, eight hours. Right. And so playing the game kind of helps you bridge the gaps between the more action packed moments, if that makes sense. Right. No, I, I agree um, completely. I I've, I've, I've kind of recorded how long I can do any sort of, even just like just chatting, which isn't the same sort of show format, but 
the energies and like focus and the cyclical nature of some conversations, I think can only persist between like four and six hours long in my, for at least for me. Yeah. Um, and since we kind of have chunkier streams, the only, like, I don't want to consider like the gameplay as padding, but it's a nice way to cool down. It um, is. You can take a little sort of pressure thing. off of yourself and relax a bit more. Maybe. I don't know. That's how it feels. Yeah. For and me. context. Sometimes like the, the discussions, uh, preceded by gameplay, can create different discussions that might not normally happen in just chatting, like Absolutely. Um, getting into some vulnerable topics that would need some sort of prompt or be very relevant to enough people to get into. A game can kind of navigate that and you can comment in a way that's a little less invasive, you know, or personally oriented. And I, en I enjoy those components a lot. I've actually, I think recently, maybe, uh, I think it was yesterday uh, during, during my daytime stream, I was playing Destroy All Humans, a game I really like. And after a certain point, I think we were, you know, played a level, commented on something in the level, which prompted a, a discussion. And for about almost an hour, I was just sitting on the pause screen and we were having this rigorous discussion. So like exactly what you said, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to keep the discussion going for as long as I can. And then we jump into a game and then maybe we find something that prompts a whole new, amazing w tidal wave of um, of, of fun new ideas. And so that's kind of, I've come, I've become a lot more comfortable with streaming games again because of that, where I found like a place for it within what I see as what I want to do with my content. Right. Uh, I definitely, I'm, I'm on the same page with you <laughs> with that one. And I like that you're diversifying your content too, outside of, uh, Twitch streaming, like in, in this case, um, as well as the other areas that you kind of actively focus on because it's, I think it's becoming increasingly important um, with, again, how busy, how many broadcasters Twitch has. Um, it's like, you know, not just to separate yourself from, not to just separate your content from everyone else's and make it unique, which is also incredibly important. Like spending time not streaming to work on your stream, I think gets uh, glossed over uh, oh, yeah. a little too frequently. <laughs> but then also having you know a place where people can visit you when you're offline and you have that evergreen content just sitting there waiting to be discovered uh is i think very smart i think so too not to mention just as far as security goes uh for me this being my full-time job and what i plan to be my career essentially uh is it's very important for me to uh not be fully reliant on twitch even though i kind of am right now as everything else slowly is growing you know, just example being Mixer collapsing with like and, and letting everybody know via tweet. All of a sudden, all these people that have built up their <laughs> communities on Mixer are like, what the fuck? I don't have a platform anymore. I have to move somewhere else, which is, you know, even even though you do have an audience you built up, uh, I think everyone knows that even even if you have this committed audience moving to another platform, you're absolutely going to lose some people. You might lose a pretty good chunk of people. And so the idea that that, that can happen at any moment, it could happen with Twitch. It probably won't anytime soon, but. Right. Or even just the idea of instant termination via a ban that you didn't expect. I had a friend right. who got wrongfully um, banned, like actually genuinely, it was an accident. It was like her her username was very similar to someone else's and they just didn't do their due diligence. And it, you know, in, in that level of seriousness, like she lost all of her subs and um, having to manually have everyone like manually do that again, just completely like fucked her finances. Oh yeah. See, that's so, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, I know absolutely a possibility and I, because of that, I'm absolutely doing my best to not be dependent on Twitch. Another thing is truthfully speaking, uh, 
within the scene of deep twitch and within the context of content i want to create and even just the person i am i i want to believe that there's a place for me uh, a long term on twitch but i don't really think there is i don't think I wanted to believe that Twitch had an interest in promoting a lot of the kind of non-gaming scene. And maybe they do eventually, maybe they will eventually, but at the moment, I don't think they do. And I, I truthfully don't really think they give a shit about uh, the people creating shows because most of the people creating shows aren't generating them an insane amount of revenue. Right. It, they've definitely not shown a good amount of support for what I find to be some of the most innovative content on the platform yeah. unless it's popular and yeah. sometimes that overlaps and i have a feeling that in the future more and more people will gravitate towards uh content that's more intentional and narrative driven um and isn't again the, the webcam in the corner situation but i don't know how close we are to achieving that <laughs> exactly it might never happen and i think even if it does happen it's going to be a really long time uh, honestly, a really long time to me being two years, because for me, like for me, a day is a long time. Just with this idea of memento mori could be absolutely um, we could be fully apocalypse tomorrow, you know, super volcano chain reaction, whatever. It, like, I'm, who knows? And so uh, two years for me, like to wait on Twitch to finally care about the stuff that I, I care about. Two years is way too long. So I'm absolutely right. Especially not with 2020 on Twitch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, two years I mean, is rate, extremely uncertain to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I always talk about that. I actually have this really um, financial advisors hate me, but uh, I don't really feel like investing for retirement to me doesn't feel like a good idea. And maybe I'm an idiot, but I just I'm not convinced that I'm going to be alive by the time I have a chance to retire. Honestly, sometimes it seems like a scam. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I personally don't have health insurance and I feel like I'm rolling the dice a lot. And, oh yeah. <laughs> um, <Been there>. that's, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting situation to think about. Um, kind of, I mean, on some ways I feel irresponsible, um, you know, being one of those, being that millennial who's like <laughs> just kind of leveraging my current age and hoping that'll work out for me. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's definitely, the future is an interesting one to think about, and I want to be the responsible person who considers it, especially financially, because I think in some ways, um, in, in some ways that can be considered some of the easiest ways to invest in it. Whereas, like mentally and emotionally, I'm it can feel pretty resigned. It's like it's one thing to like throw a little bit in savings, and another thing to stress myself out over it. Right, right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I I definitely should think about it more i think at least according to your financial investor i should <laughs> right well that's that's everyone tells me to think about it but i'm just i can't i can't based on the what i believe about the world it just doesn't seem like a good idea to me and retirement especially is one of the ones that i really don't fuck with because even if i somehow manage to stay alive that long which is a really big if um then i'm gonna be old and I'm not going to be able to do the things I really want to do just because of my own physical limitations. Do I really want to wait mm. to the end of my life to like save up and do all these things, you know, because generally it's like, oh, you retire. Now you can go travel and do all the things. I, I, to me, that's a shitty, uh, a shitty plan. Honestly, I'd rather, I'd rather I, spread it out over my life. Yeah. I, I've always thought the idea of like waiting until you're 60, 70 to go see the world was always just a little unintuitive to me. I mean, obviously, finance is willing until that, <laughs> but um, of course, it's 
I, uh, I don't know what my, I used to, I kind of got into working a little bit later than some of my friends. And for a while that was a point of like shame for me. Mm. Um, especially cause I wasn't in college at the time. And a lot of like a couple of people, a couple of people were in my life were just telling me about how, how lucky I was and how much I should just enjoy it. Right. Cause they were looking out for basically my my uh, mental health and just well-being as a whole and they're like well if you don't have to work then just like enjoy your life and as is and don't feel bad about it like don't make it a bad situation because you're feeling bad about it like it's actually a privilege that you know if you have then maybe you should enjoy um and that was kind of an interesting thought process and so now i kind of i don't know if it's good advice but now i kind of pass on similar sentiments to friends that are um, in that sort of position, because like you have the rest of your life to stress out about being an adult and, and doing those things and having to manage your finances meticulously and maybe take care of your parents or buy a house or have kids, you know, you have so much, you have decades of getting to manage your life that way. You might, if you, if you get like the chance to take a year or two off before that point, like, don't feel bad. (laughs) Like, Don't spend it feeling bad about yourself, I guess. Absolutely. And honestly, for me, I think uh, the question of like uh, managing finances to like, I don't know, do the responsible things. I'm not necessarily against it, but I know that I'm never going to be capable of it. So if I ever had enough money to where I could set things aside, I'd just pay somebody to tell me how to do it, I think, because like, I don't know, I, I wouldn't be good at it. I recognize that as a weakness of mine. <laughs> like a higher I, financial advisor, you know what I mean? It's not a bad move. Um, I've heard good things at least. Oh yeah. Actually one of my friends now is a, as a financial advisor, a new friend I've sort of met since moving to uh, Nashville. Actually he and I went to the same university and, uh, he messaged me on LinkedIn and, <laughs> and we actually ended up meeting up for coffee and, uh, we had a really good discussion and we didn't even talk about business. We just talked and actually we met up two days ago and, um, you know, socially distanced cocktail bar. And uh, also just had another discussion. We barely even talked about business, but it's just been cool because uh, first of all, cool to talk to a human in person every now and then. We like meet once a month, so it's very, very uh, much a, a frequency that I'm okay with. Mm. And uh, and I know that if I ever happen to have a financial friends. advising fr- question, I could ask him. Yeah, doubly valuable in that case. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. I'm Did, sure- so. Wait, I didn't know you went to college. Oh well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> for a little bit. I did. <laughs> I am currently not in college. I did not finish college. And uh, I am so glad I finally decided to get away from it because college was, I say college is the biggest mistake of my life. Uh, absolutely. With zero doubt in my mind about it. I deeply regret doing it. Uh, not only did it give me a, a lot of debt, it was the worst years of my life for sure. Socially, academically? Uh, well, academically, I've never liked school at any point in my life, period. Mm. Um, I don't know why I decided college was a genius idea because of that, but I not only, I enjoyed learning about philosophy. That is, that much is true. And while I was in college, I met some really interesting and cool people that gave me really interesting and cool opportunities that were very formative to the person I am now. But I'm not convinced that I wouldn't have found those people without, like those people were in no way connected to, to, to my college experience, right? There are people I met mm. out on my own. And my experience in the university, for the most part, outside of a few good professors that I had, and I did have a few really excellent professors, was just horrible. And even within the context of these amazing professors I had, I loved conversations with those professors. I loved 
the philosophical discussions in class, but everything else about the class I hated, you know, the work, homework, et cetera, all these things that for my brain are just not, they don't click at all. And part of that is ADHD, but the structure of education to me is extremely stifling. And I couldn't help but always feel like I could be doing a lot more with my time. And that college was this weird purgatory that I felt like I didn't want to be in and I couldn't see any reason for me to be on, but everyone told me I had to do it. And I just sort of was believed them. And since I was already stuck in this weird loop where I'd already, you know, taken out student loans, I was like, I guess I have to finish this, even though I hate every second of it. And I, as college progressed, I went into deeper and deeper darker states of depression to where a point of where I wouldn't even leave my house for, for a year, more or less skipped all my classes, just would like sit in my room, like a dark room and, uh, and wish my life was better. Shit. That sounds awful. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And you're terrible. paying money. Yeah. And I'm, paying, and I'm working <laughs> as well. So I have experience. like not much time to myself. And the time I do have to myself, I'm just absolutely miserable. I um I always always slated as the the kid that would have gone to college. Like I enjoyed the school. Um like I liked my teachers. I really thought having that experience would be key to my life. And in some ways I still wonder if it would have been um especially since I was in like pretty much very private and Christian schools. I was like, "Oh my god, college is like going to be the the unsheltered oh. icebreaker." Right, and right. um yeah, I know what you're talking about the kind of fantasy of college, right? Where it's it's you get to oh right. you get to do all the wild stuff. You get to you know yeah yeah drink totally. and sports yeah, and like actually choose my club activities because you know you don't get to choose your clubs if there's only one club. Um, and I I don't know th thinking back on it now. I mean, I would have I would have wanted an English and psychology degree from a place that would have cost like sixty grand a year, mm. you know. And yeah. neither of those degrees are gonna really help me too much on paying that back um, outright. And I don't know, I'm in some ways, I feel like I dodged a bullet in that sense. But in others, I really miss feeling kind of sharpened by like that intellectual energy um, in sometimes those spaces and feeling like accountable to actually have to sit down and, and study and do things that maybe I don't want to, but could be good for me in the long run. Speech class was a big one for me in high school that I definitely underestimated the importance of um i don't know so it's something that i, I occasionally think of in, with slight lament <laughs> i think honestly i think there's huge merit to, to what you said i think for me i think there's a, a gigantic lie that we're all told that somehow like that to have these experiences we have to have them in the context of school and that everything we're told about how to behave and how to act. It's like, okay, this is the structure you need to do these things. And maybe for some people that structure works. And for mm -hmm. me, it didn't. However, I fully believe that if someone is truly motivated to improve themselves and truly motivated to succeed in a field, they will find a way to sharpen themselves in that field, regardless of their situation. And so, I mean, personally, I would regard you as pretty sharp. And um, I don't know that necessarily, while you may have had some like positive experiences at school, I can't imagine that it would have given you this wide range of experience that you wouldn't find on your own just due to your own interest and ambition. Mm. I will say in some ways it, it kind of was counterintuitive to setting me up properly um, because I, I invested like a lot of my personal identity in the in, in the idea of being the academic at school, essentially. Okay. And so when that was kind of yoinked away in 
just not having school anymore and becoming a, an adult or whatever, um, I was like vastly unprepared. <laughs> um, I think that the, one of the first ones was when I took an ACT and I had never prepped for ACT and I wasn't used to studying because I never felt like I needed to, um, mm. to do as well as I was satisfied with. And I like, I got a score that I wasn't particularly proud of. Granted, I was holding myself up to pretty high standards, but even then it was like my first real failure. I had no idea how to deal with that. And I think knowing how to deal with failure and the idea of developing discipline and diligence is like way, way leagues beyond more important than knowing how to like take a test and get an A. Oh, you know what I mean? Big time. <laughs> and, could not agree like, more. School doesn't necessarily prepare you for that if you like, I don't know, in my case, happened to be good in school or what other metrics that might, you know, apply to that situation. But I was just, I was boned when I got out of high school and I didn't really know what I was going to do without college because that, again, I, I, I'd put so much, I invested myself heavily in that kind of persona. And when it was gone, I was not prepared at all to deal with anything else. Like I, I hadn't worked a day in my life. I didn't know how to like deal with finances. Like, sure, I could talk about economics, but like dealing with personal finances is not something like school usually goes out of its way to teach you or prepare you for. Um, like social interactions with, um, I don't know, relationships. Uh, there's just, there's so much that school doesn't cover. Um, but like you said, it, it, like this, this, the structure in some ways is a lie. Because like when the structure is gone and none of it applies to your day-to-day -day living, like what, what could it do you? <laughs> and once school is inevitably over for someone, you know, that structure is gone. Then you have the rest of your life to try and figure out how to do these things that maybe school helped you do without school. And I almost feel like it's better to rip that Band-Aid off sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I think it would have helped in my circumstance. Um, I one of like the best things that I learned from basically like 18 to 22 was the was coming to terms with failing um and failing forward essentially and now it's like something that I pretty much actively <laughs> encourage people to do and get used to oh, because yes, you're going to be in a rough ride in like your 20s if you don't if you've <laughs> never experienced you know experienced failure failure with your dreams failure with your love life failure with your parents you know like it's just it, you you really should become as comfortable as possible with getting rejected oh, because yeah. it's it's really just it, it I swear to god it will be a boon <laughs> oh yeah i think it's i it's very important to not have sort of an existential fear of it to like embrace it fall flat on your face hard like very hard and be be able to get back up and say well you know that 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 wasn't great but you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll give it another shot or we'll give something else another shot because that didn't work out and yeah i think that's potentially the most important thing uh to learn in a lifetime at all if you want to get to somewhere you strongly desire i am um, i'm still you, like even with the stream, I'm still like a big proponent of like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like maybe having a group stream makes it harder to interact with chat, and maybe numerically, uh, you know, it, it's not as great of a night. But then I got to say that I tried a different style of streaming or a different um, type of content, and like I know without a doubt like how to improve on it, or maybe what I should do next time, or maybe just not do it at all. And like that hard data is so much more important than I think like the theoretical data when it comes to these spaces. 
Um, like I, I, I still have some, a lot of friends who are like, well, maybe I should do this with the stream. And I'm like, just do it. Yeah, like, don't do think it. about it anymore. Exactly. Just see what happens. Like you will learn so much more from like, if it goes well, great. Awesome. Like you've got a, you know, you got, you got your idea, you got your niche, but if it doesn't go well, you still like the value gleaned from it not going well is still so critical to your future growth that you just don't want to pass up that opportunity. I also think there's sort of this imagined idea that oh one second <laughs> un momento someone's at the door okay back uh i think <laughs> Welcome back. the imagined idea that failure is extremely dangerous and to be avoided that it's something you got to crunch a bunch of numbers to make sure you don't fail things like that though the kind of what if like i can't fail here and i've studied all these things that say like if i do this this might happen and for that reason i'm not going to do it i almost feel like kind of to bring it back to this idea of, of of academia and the structure of school i almost feel like it's reinforced to an extent by school because when you fail in school hard you you get an f and that f dramatically affects your grade point average for the rest of you know the year and then your parents right. are mad at you because you got an f and their teachers are disappointed in you and maybe your friends care right you know? and it's so punishing and it makes you not want to fail again which i don't think is healthy at all and or it makes you feel like that's all you're worth and that you don't get up and try again because the like the punishment was too devastating you know Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I think that's really the, the, the most dangerous thing about school, honestly, to me, or, or that, and then also limiting the scope of your experience to that, that within you can experience in a classroom. And for so long, too. I mean, not to mention just like high school alone, you know, it's going to be until you're 18. And then if you go to so college after that, life. four more years, and then if you go to, you know, a post-grad after that, so much of your life has spent within this very rigid structure of academia. And once you're out of it, it's like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Because it's been it's been most of your day every day since you were a child. I, I have a good number of friends who are basically just using school to just knowingly procrastinate having to like jump into adulthood at this point because it's all they know. And it's like safe. Right. It's a it's it a is. it's a stall. Um, and. I feel like that definitely could have been me <laughs> and a lot. Like just if anything was just a little bit different uh, in my life, perhaps I would have probably been in that situation. <laughs> perhaps. Indeed. I do feel like I, I, even though my, my, my school experience is horrible and miserable and awful, I'm really glad that I fully eventually got to the place where I was like, fuck this. This is so not me. And since mm. I rejected school, even when I was in it, I was very frequently not in class and doing other things in the world. If I, you know, if I was not insanely depressed and in my house, you know, uh, and, and because of that, I do feel that I was a little more prepared than some. And of, of course, I was also working alongside school. So I was working for a really long time at P.F. Chang's. Um, <laughs> and that was a very educational experience, too, because interacting with I mean, you right. were you worked in rest. You work. In, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You, you, you I was going to ask if you were business. like. Back of house or front of house? Well, I started as a host and then I became um, a runner and then I was shift lead runner and I quit because they wouldn't promote me to a server. But 
I uh, and I, I would serve it. occasionally. They would give me tables every now and then, but not they enough. tease you. Yeah, they would tease me with it. Yeah, it was really frustrating. Oh my god, I've had a very similar experience to that. But um, like you said, the knowledge of that knowing that school wasn't for you, I think, has like a lot of worth in of itself. Though obviously, hopefully, could have been discovered with less investment in some ways. But yeah, the the restaurant industry, I think, prepared me for at least a good chunk of adulthood a lot more than college would have i think so too especially not only interacting with the people that are your customers but also interacting with the other staff and without fail i've worked in two restaurants and the like the, the wide range of people i meet um both very cool people and very not as cool people to me in the restaurant space is extremely interesting and there's some very very low lows and some of the people i've met in the field and some very like high highs I, oh man, I bet you have some really, really good stories. I wish I could think of more of mine off the top of my head, but they're always so contextualized, right? Um, I, uh, I, I love, I don't know, I think taking interest in people as you do, as I like to do, uh, can be more rewarded in the restaurant industry than some. And I think that's what kind of gravitated me towards that, though obviously flexible hours is usually a plus <laughs> of course yeah i am um, there's there's this one story about i mean oh god now now i'm starting to wax nostalgia and i'm going to tell you how i dropped a baby uh no oh, not that no. story <laughs> uh but there was um the lead singer of the Frey's family um actually stopped in he lives in kind of the neighborhood that my restaurant is in and i didn't even really realize that that was the case at the time and i would have never known that um that he was that person had i not taken an interest in his mother-in-law <laughs> who was also <laughs> at the table and i was telling her about how he was going to seattle soon and how she was from seattle and we spent probably 30 minutes straight just talking about uh seattle in between me dropping off food and stuff and i i got like her whole like i got her address i got her um <laughs> email i got her phone number um and then of course little did i know that that like that the lead singer of the fray was at that table as well until I ended up emailing her talking about places I should visit when I'm in Seattle. And, um, I always thought that was one of those kind of instances that would have never happened had you, had I not taken an interest in like someone's, you know, personal life and, and passions. Um, and I, so that's, it's not like a pretty dramatic story by any means, but it's kind of like my own secret, like no one at the restaurant knew except me that like I got to I got to serve that person. <laughs> right. And right. I and I earned it basically. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's just so to get out in the world with, with people that because within the school almost all of your interactions are very controlled and measured. But when you're in a restaurant it's very uh like entropy can reign. And especially even though, you know, there's an organization to the kitchen, at least a lot most of the executive chefs I've worked with have been really aggressive and a lot of the cooks, you know, can often be aggressive as well. And then especially during rushes or uh, mother's oh, day, gosh. for example, at PF Chang's uh, emotions are quite high and it gets the, dangerous and precarious very quickly. The hierarchical system of the back of house in restaurants, honestly, always took me off guard because I never, I've never been around that type of energy before. And it was, it was shocking to me. We had oh, a very yeah. like traditionally, like classically French trained chef uh, with pretty good number of accolades. And um, he was, he was very much like, I always thought the Gordon Ramsay thing was, 
hyperbolic and it is not <laughs> in not, some ways it it's so tame not. because it's on television <laughs> oh yeah the executive chef every executive chef i've ever worked under like when they're pissed they are seriously a force of rage and uh, I, it, it can be I, very intimidating <laughs> i remember one of the line cooks uh was sick and they like forced him to come in and he was just like puking in a trash like right off the line and the guy's like he's fine he's fine and i'm just like oh my god like the kitchen is so like it's this you transport to this other plane of existence we're like and this i have no doubt i i, I obviously still have some co-workers who are in the restaurant industry actively like this is still going on in 2020 in covid times because that's like how insular some of the the culture and the um the like ingrained thought process of working in a kitchen is and it's it's really interesting oh absolutely i honestly would love to one day write a whole i don't know perhaps a novel like a like a novel almost of uh, the hunter s thompson style very is very inspiring to me because it's fictional or creative nonfiction is what i would call it uh, more often than not, where where it is a true experience, but you add a lot of creative twists and to where it does end up being fiction, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a somewhat true piece of fiction. And uh, I would love to write one of those about specifically the culture from within a restaurant, <clears throat> because I just think it's, it's such a unique, it's such a unique beast. I have seen so few like well done uh, takes on restaurant culture in same, media, same and here. it's 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 a tragedy because it's incredibly fascinating. But I see like usually it gets overly dramatized, which is somewhat inevitable because it's maybe not overly dramatized because in some ways that can be realistic too. Um, but it's maybe romanticized is the better word. <laughs> right, right. Um, and there's only one example I can think of that I didn't like outright think was disingenuous and it only lasted for like the first three pages of the book uh and then after that it became like a soap opera and i was like damn it we were so close <laughs> what is that example out of curiosity um yeah uh, it is it's called sweet bitter there's a show on stars of it that's very like uh very like cw teenage drama right. uh but the actual book if you read like the first three pages of the actual a novel it's very well written it talks about how important like your palate is and the the, the tasting sensations i worked in a fine dining restaurant right. so i worked the... in a pf shank so it was way more like fucking just get the food out to these fucking people you know, that was more <laughs> or less the ideology um there's very but little the book pride talks in the about recipes. how like surviving a busy shift can is is like a badge of honor and oh, yeah. it feels like going through an earthquake and how everyone was like in it together and oh yeah um oh my goodness it evokes some like really like really um true feelings uh and so I've, i i've read the first few pages of that book more than a couple times and then it gets into more romantic stuff and is a substantially less interesting uh, but i would i would recommend it if you ever want like just a, a taste of the of the restaurant life nostalgia to hit you square in the face, the palate, as it were. <laughs> Every time I, I meet up with one of my old coworkers, I'm always just like waxing nostalgic because even though there was horrible times, there's also just like very fun to reminisce on times. Oh my God, yes. I, I have like my top three worst serving nights like ranked and every time I see a coworker, I have to revisit them because they're the only <laughs> ones who like completely understand the context yes. of what made it so awful. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I worked a, a double on a Mother's Day and our PF Chang's was, it was uh, kind of at the forefront. It was one of the marquee restaurants of a very busy outdoor mall in Jacksonville. It's called the Town Center and it's one of those 
big outdoor malls that attracts people from all around that want to visit like the Louis Vuitton store and stuff. And so they all end up at PF Chang's and on mother's day, of course, it's insanely busy. And I'll just never forget like everyone, everyone else that was working doubles on mother's day, just how it almost felt like we fought a, like a full on military style battle after it was all done. Just, we were all so beat up and, and mentally battered. We were like, well, we, we made it out together. <laughs> and we will now forever be marked by this experience. But we will also all now have some degree of just respect for each other for surviving this horrid day. Basically, yeah, forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like going through a gauntlet. Um, it does. I, it there was so one, does. It was one night in particular. Denver has this Denver restaurant week. I imagine other cities do something similar. And it's like a, a week of just really great deals. Um in different like price brackets and ours was one of the most expensive ones i think it was like 45 per person and it's like a five course meal and um the whole point is that you're getting pretty good value so like five courses for 45 dollars at like a relatively nice place is pretty pretty solid that is yeah. and um the the first night uh there wasn't a lot of communication as it, as it turns out in restaurants, surprisingly, <laughs> a lot of communication can get thrown under the rug, swept away. Oh yeah. Um, Which leads to deep frustrations. <laughs> it's the executive chef screaming at someone like, how the fuck did this happen? <laughs> Throwing things. Yes. I remember they would like something really important. Health insurance fell through the cracks because like the upper <laughs> management couldn't be bothered to send like w the email. Um, and it happened like the day after the health insurance expired and we were all like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. This is like way too important for that not to have occurred to them. But anyway, um, so everyone was not on the same page and the, um, the chef of the evening, who is not the executive chef, uh, was giving out like twice as much food than he was supposed to. Oh. So the next day, the executive chef comes in and he is pissed because oh like goodness, it is his like restaurant, that. his steak. Yeah, he's he's like you know food waste is like a pretty big deal. Oh yeah, and so that so he purposefully cuts all the portions in half from not the double portion but the normal portion. So we were we were putting out half burgers in front of people as their main entree, um, for a forty five dollar ticket, right? Um, so you were paying forty five dollars, and we were setting out these burgers that were half the size. Like they couldn't, we couldn't even give them a full size burger, and. Oh my God. I have, I was thankfully not serving. I was food running, which was honestly just as scary in some ways. Cause oh, I was yeah. the person bringing out the half burgers to people who and paid $45. Like the intermediary between <laughs> the customer and the kitchen. And, and oh, then whenever a server needs something, they ask you to ask the kitchen. And so you're this uh, go between for all the most dangerous interactions. I feel like. It was honestly the most terrifying shift I'd ever. I was like sliding plates across the table because I couldn't be bothered to make eye contact. Yeah, like, like I was just like no, I'd get the corner of the table and yeah. just like flick the tape like the the plate closer to them and then like fucking like run. Get I just like would sprint away the yeah. second I dropped the food off because it was so bad. And like we were all telling him we were like, dude, this is not enough food. Like I am out there. I am putting this on the table. People are. I've never seen so many unhappy people people at once like it was like a room of a hundred people that were just pissed oh, like the yeah. energies of that was awful and like we were all being incredibly ver ver verbal to the executive chef about this but because he's the executive chef what he says goes and he was right. not having any of our shit which was you know like it, it wasn't even oh god and so the end of the night we went from like 
a 4.7 star rating to like a 3.3 we got so many negative reviews and it was and then of course he gets more pissed about that like dude we were telling you the last five hours that no one was happy about 45 dollar bike like half burgers like how does this make any sense to anyone and it was that was the worst night i've like ever worked it was the longest like four hours of my life and they fortunately the servers you know they had to work longer than i i got i got to get cut after things slowed down i was like thank god because if i was serving that night i probably would have just quit and i'm not that type of person like i've never walked out on any job that i've had like i take a lot of pride in like doing things in a more like professional structured way when it comes to like traditional work and i was so close to just like leaving because i could not deal with how how just like awful the circumstance was for everyone involved. Like we were having a bad day. The customers were having a bad day. Like the chef was having a bad day. There was no light at the end of the tunnel until I was home. Oh yeah. I, I remember just after I'd have, oh, after almost every ship, but especially after hardships, sometimes maybe I'd go to like a restaurant a few doors down to order some food to eat. And I remember I once went to this burger joint that was just a few doors down from us. It was called M Shack. And I sat down waiting for my food and I remember being so exhausted and so just kind of like consumed by almost the <laughs> the trauma after my shift because it was a really brutal shift that I just sat there and stared at the floor and before I knew it, an hour passed and they had never called my name and I had forgotten to ask about my, you know, I didn't ask about my food. I was just kind of <laughs> waiting on it, but an hour had passed without me even knowing because I was just so, you know, kind of almost dissociated by the experience trauma and the exhaustion. It's honestly like, a great word for that because i it really put into perspective what like a human being can like, like human beings are so resilient and we don't see that as much because we're not you know out in the mountains or in the caves anymore you know what i mean right. um but like restaurant industry was like the closest that uh, that feeling that like fight or flight that real primal instinct to survive i've, I've like ever tapped into <laughs> absolutely i'm glad you get it it's it's kind of hard to explain but it absolutely does feel that way and it's 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 hard to explain to people that haven't experienced it because they don't really believe it. But once you've been there, you know, and it's it is really uh, brutal. But that's exactly why you forge these strong connections with your coworkers in many ways because of that. It's the crucible, right. you know. Honestly, like there's I think something to that. Like anthropologically, I think that human beings at their core can can kind of benefit from being put up against difficult odds and sort of coming together as a community to get through it. You know, I think that's actually very psychologically rewarding for us as a as a as an animal right the solidarity is yeah. pretty huge but also i mean I, who knows who knows truthfully speaking i would actually there, there's many more topics i'd like to discuss i always run into this with with the podcast that i get into this amazing conversation and then i have to cut it off usually <laughs> around an hour and a half hour 45 because um, well, I want the podcast to be sort of digestible. That being said, I almost always want to do a part two to get into some of the things I didn't get to touch on. So we're sort I of at the time. That. Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be absolutely amazing. I know you like to schedule things in advance. So, I mean, you know, I'd be happy to put something in the books soonish. No, I mean, I actually really respect that, by the way. I, I, um, I have gotten better and better about scheduling things and uh, it's, it's actually kind of a relief. I always feel so bad though, because like there's, there's always that person, you know, in, in the cobwebs of your life in the, in the past. And they're like, Hey, do you want to hang out again? And I'll be like, okay, sure. I've got like a two hour slot three months from now. How does that work? <laughs> you know? And it makes me feel like I'm being an asshole. That's like too busy to like hang out with them. But that's actually 
ironically kind of a concession because I normally wouldn't go out of my way to hang out like in person with a good number of people. So it's like, Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. oh, I fully get it. I fully get it. Like I said, it's no problem at all. So, um, and I, yeah, and I a hundred percent understand. So since we're on the tail end here, kind of in that, in the outro, I like to say, you know, your Carreros, what, what, what do you create and where can people find it? You know, whatever you want to plug, right? This is that moment. Oh shit. I'm bad at these moments. Like every time there's a raid and I'm always like, oh my God, how's your stream? And then like someone of the raid has to prompt me to ask me like about my stream. And I'm like, oh shit, I guess that is relevant. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I still don't have a good, I just don't have a good uh, canned response, but um, I have been live streaming three nights a week, mostly doing just chatting and uh, focused on narrative games primarily outside of that. I think my Instagram is pretty decent. That's the only social media I, I feel like comfortable <laughs> representing in public because I, I give a shit about that one. The other ones are okay. They exist. <laughs> That's about it. Um, as far as the, your writings, anything of that nature? Ooh, I need to get back on the writing train. I've been focusing my energies heavily towards the stream space recently for good reason. Um, I unfortunately don't have anything up and online but we have a pretty vibrant uh crafty artistic community in the discord um which of course anyone is welcome to uh and i've always thought about doing like a creative writing stream but i don't feel like visually that's particularly evocative um on the space right now but it's something i've been thinking about <laughs> and would love to get into eventually all right on uh thank you so much for making time to be on and this was a lovely and wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Major Grunge. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening with your $1 caffeine powders. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will.